to the Word of God. For those of you who have your Bibles, um, if not, it's going to be on the screens. And turn with me to the book of Mark. The book of Mark, the 14th chapter. St. Mark, the 14th chapter. And for our hearing and listenings this morning, we're going to we're going to uplift verses 32 through 42. Pretty long passage of scripture, but I think it's very relevant, very familiar passage of scripture. Um, but if you have it, say amen. Amen. Listen for a word from the Lord. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass for him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will. And he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for an hour? Couldn't even do noonday prayer. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Be well. Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. If may God add a blessing to the reading of his word, if I had subject this morning, the name of my subject will be Come Out of Gethsemane. Come Out of Gethsemane. Look to your neighbors and say, neighbor, come out of Gethsemane. Turn to your another neighbor and say, neighbor, oh neighbor. Come out of Gethsemane. There are three times in the life of Jesus where we see powerful moments of shifting. And I want to be clear that there are parts of, our, of his life that we don't know and doesn't tell us, but the Bible chronicles his birth, 
And from there to 12 years old, and then it goes silent until he turns 30 years old, where it picks up at the Jordan River. And, and from there, it, it, it carries us to his death, burial, and resurrection. And we don't know what is encompasses and what had encompassed in these 18 years. Um, but out of these three years, most of the New Testament encompasses a deeper and, and richer description of what took place during these three years. Man, Jesus made these three years count. My God. Scholars and theologians have not a clue what happened in these 18 years. But one thing is for certain. This man rocked this world in three years. Three years. Believers and non-believers and agnostics and apologetics are still talking about him 2,000 years after the fact based on what he did in three years. Three years. And in thinking about this phenomenon in my preparation and in my meditation and in my study time, it made me ask the question, Walter, what are you going to do with the time that you have left? 18 years, we don't know what happened. But in the last three years, Jesus does so much to the world that the world is still reverberating from it. We're still trying to understand the riches and the treasures and the complexities of what he did in just three years. And out of these three years, there are three moments that stood out in an amazing way. There's the wilderness, there's the garden, and then there's the cross. These three moments are so profound. They have a tremendous impact. They carry a tremendous depth of revelation and understanding. The wilderness, the garden, and the cross. When we look at Jesus, he begins his entry into ministry under the inauguration of the understanding of who he was in the chilly Jordan River with water whistling through his toes and, and air and wind blowing through his hair and glory peeking over him in a cloud. And Jesus starts his ministry with the profundity and the voice of a man, his cousin by the name of John, who said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. One word. Jesus went from the background to the forefront. One word took Jesus from obscurity to notoriety. One word changed the trajectory of Jesus' life. And after 18 years of omnipotence, one word took Jesus to center stage. Isn't it amazing how one moment in your life, one moment in your life can be going one way, and the next moment, one thing happens and it changes the course of your life. And in my work as a clinical social worker and psychotherapist, I find myself affirming and validating people. I find myself reaching out to these men and women in moments of contemplating suicidal and having suicidal ideations through overdosing, through heavy narcotics and other things because the current conditions of where they are right now forces them wanting to just end it all. And I find myself doing more affirming because I believe that, hey, just hang on in there. Things can change. 
You don't know what you're killing. You don't know what you're killing. And what I've come to find now is that many people in the midst of this state end up trying to end themselves because of what happened in the past, not fully understanding what the future is going to hold for them. One thing turned for Jesus. One thing. One word. One person. Just one. Behold the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the word, of the world. And from that one statement, Jesus' life, his entire life shifts. It makes a U-turn. It becomes, and he becomes center stage. And the people who were pushing past him to get the John were now pushing past to get to him. All of a sudden, one word, they baptized him in the water, and the Spirit came down from heaven. And when he came up out the water, the Spirit met him. And there he was, sandwiched between water and Spirit. And saturated with glory and the anointing, baptized in dirty waters of the Jordan River, endowed with the Holy Spirit of God, dirt and holy. There he is standing in between terrestrial and celestial, between human and divine. There Jesus stands wet with water, but covered with glory. Your Lord, my God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of peace, the rose of sharing, the lily of the valley, etc., etc., a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased with a man, his cousin saying, behold. And so with these two paradigms together, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. It is the echo effect. John confirms Jesus on earth, while the Father was confirming him in heaven. And he steps right into the wilderness. Let me talk about the wilderness for a moment. This man who will move mountains, rock nations, rock crowds, heal the sick, raise the dead, feed 5,000 had his most powerful, pungent moments alone. Alone. Inciting from the crowds, Jesus goes into the wilderness led by the Spirit to fight alone. He who has glory in crowds has agony alone. It's not what you do in front of people, but it's how you carry yourself in the wilderness alone. There's a price that has to be paid between these thunderbolt moments and these periods of isolation. God is careful to balance you, to do more than one to you than the other. Every high brings a low. Yes, every high brings a low, every up brings a down, every mountain just by definition itself brings a valley. He who is exalted from the Jordan is now ushered into the wilderness alone. Because when you really wrestle, you don't do it in crowds. We wrestle alone. Let me say this about the shepherd of this house and people who stand here Sunday after Sunday behind this sacred, this sacred desk. Yes, it's the challenge is to try to penetrate beyond the barriers of your public self. We have to speak to you in a public setting. 
you 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 because you're brought here in in a public setting. You 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 brought your Jordan River self. You brought your just got out of the shower smelling like toothpaste and juices and berries self. You 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 brought you I just got finished getting beat for the gods so that I can look great self. But this morning I want to speak to the real self. You know, that person that woke up this morning and wasn't as refined and as polished. That is who Jesus came for. It's not a representative of the clothes that we're wearing right now, but the real you who goes into the wilderness alone. Jesus goes into the wilderness alone. Whenever you go through any real thing, you go through it alone. Pay, pay no attention to the people that say, I'm with you, I'm with you. Please understand, this wilderness, you're going to have to go through it alone. Alone. Because at the end of the day, again, you have to go through it alone. I want to share this quick story and thinking about this because it takes me back to the time of my brother-in-law when he was welcoming my, uh, my niece. And he just kept saying, we're having a baby. We're having a baby. We're having a baby. And meanwhile, my sister giving the side eye, like this wee stuff. We're having a baby. Water breaks. Rush her to the hospital. We're having a baby. We're having a baby. We're having a baby. Sister in pain, still giving the side eye. This we stuff. This we stuff. We're having a baby, but she was having the pains. She, 18, 19 hours. Of, of, of labor saying get it out, get it out but we're having a baby we're having a baby no, she had to go through the pain alone she had to go through it alone and all the people that were surrounding the Jordan River who saw the spirit descend on Jesus like a dove and John baptizing Jesus didn't go into the wilderness with Jesus. All of us, all of us have a wilderness that we must go to alone. And the Bible says that he fasted for 40 days and when he was tempted by the enemy, then he was tempted by the enemy. And this is very interesting, y'all, because in years of reading and hearing and studying this, people preach and teach that the passage of Scripture, in this passage of Scripture, the notion that Jesus can be tempted, that we don't really understand that the whole wilderness debate wasn't really about being tempted. It wasn't like Jesus was going to Vegas. What do you tempt a man when he is in the wilderness? There are no slot machines. There's no adult entertainment or Ciroc or vodka or whatever. It's none of that in the wilderness. The enemy, what do and how do you tempt someone in the wilderness. The enemy tempts Jesus with his own sword. The enemy tests Jesus with his own destiny. Show your power, Jesus. Turn these stones to bread. Look over the mountaintop. You see these kingdoms? They're yours if you bow and worship me. You're being overlooked. You're in the wilderness. No one's looking at you. 
Show them what you're working with. Turn these stones into bread. Worship me. The kingdoms were Jesus's anyway. And the enemy was tempting him with his own destiny. The enemy asking Jesus to turn stone into bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He is tempting Jesus with his destiny. Not only his destiny, but the acquisition of his destiny. It begs me to ask, what will you give up? What will you give up to get what you want? How far will you go to get what you want? Your character is determined by what you will not do in order to get there. Some people will do anything to get there. Even if it means I have to break a rule, even if it means that I have to turn something into something that's really not, even if it means making a deal with the devil, what are you willing to do or not do to get there? Everyone has a there, a there that they want to, to do and be. And the test in the wilderness is, 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 is the will. That wilderness, the wilderness is what you will compromise and will test to see what you will compromise as a result of that. Do the ends justify the means? In other words, by any means necessary? Jesus' response was no. Jesus' response was no to what was his in the first place. He quoted scriptures and basically the gist of what he, he told the enemy was that, no, I will not worship you. No, I will not turn these stones into bread. No, I will not jump off and see if the angels can capture me. No, I will not do any of that. Even though I am hungry, even though I have a need, even though I need a job, even though I've been evicted from my house, even though I'm in testing times, I am not in sole need that I will turn these stones into bread. Isn't it funny when you are in need, you think about something that is not. You turn somebody into something that they're not because you need them badly. I'm preaching to myself, so I mean, I don't care about your amens, okay? Because I'm hungry, I can chew a rock and realize, and can realize <laughs> that it wasn't bread. Because I'm hungry, I can walk away with trash and think it was treasure. Because I'm hungry, I turn people into stuff that they're not. I'm deceiving myself because I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And then later on you say, I thought you were bread. I'm sorry I bit you but I, I thought you were bread. Have anybody been stones before? Have anybody been rocks before? <laughs> yeah. You see, I'm so hungry that I couldn't see. I thought it was bread. I thought it was bread. In the wilderness, Jesus teaches us restraint. Not only not to allow hunger to make us get what we want by any means necessary to make us feel justified. I, I, I had, not, had not had anything in 40 days. <laughs> I got a right to eat something. I got a right to get something. It's my turn and it's high time that I get it now. I need me some something, something. Jesus is in the wilderness 
40 days is a long time without food, y'all. It's a long time. It's ridiculous. I got to have something. A brother got needs. I'm old and I'm still not married yet. I still ain't got that house. I still ain't got that job that I wanted and I went to school for. I still need that husband. I still need that wife. I'm hungry. But will you turn something into something that it isn't to get what you need? These are wilderness conversations. Not Sunday morning conversations. That's why we're quiet. Because on Sunday mornings when we come in church, we don't act like we're hungry. We sit here and let the praise and worship team cheerlead us and carry our masks during praise and worship. And no one's willing to admit, I'm hungry. No one is willing to admit that I'm hungry. We have a way of disguising our hunger to fit in because we don't want anybody to know that we're hungry. We don't want anyone to know that we're hungry. We want to act like that we got it all together and half the problem is, is that we put all our energy in trying to impress people that really don't even matter. We're always trying to hold up this image who are we? It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you believe or not. Who are we? I'm hungry. When people are truly hungry, they don't need all these instruments. They don't need the streaming live faith. You can get a tambourine and washboard and slay the church. There are some people in this room that are hungry. Cute people come to church to show off their outfits, but hungry people show up because they want to get something from God. Is there anybody that's hungry? Is there truly anybody that's hungry? Are you hungry? I want the bread. That comes down from heaven. Yes. The wilderness is the place that I acknowledge that I'm hungry. And I haven't had what I needed in a long time. And yet I have to use constraint or else the enemy will use my hunger against me. Have mercy, Father. Yes. The wilderness is that thing where I have to practice restraint. Because if I don't, the enemy, the enemy will use my hunger against me. And what will happen if I lose myself that I will mess around and bite a rock. I end up marrying a rock. I accidentally, I'll end up accidentally sleep with a rock that ain't my husband or wife. Become roommates with somebody they ain't supposed to be with. I end up being friends with witches and warlocks without me knowing. I end up giving my body away because I'm hungry. <sighs> start I'll start running around with a bunch of Judases because I'm hungry. Because I'm hungry. That's when you need to be the most careful, my brothers and sisters when you're the most hungry. Wouldn't have eaten it, but I was hungry. 
I'm in the wilderness. In the wilderness. It's about destiny. It's about your destiny. It's about your destiny. Oh, my God. It's about your destiny, people. He's going, Jesus is going to reign and rule. And the enemy and Jesus had that understanding that at the end of the day, they both agreed that he was Lord. They both agreed. Look at the scripture carefully. They did agree that he was Lord. And that he was all powerful. And all these other things that we know him as. But the wilderness, the wilderness was about the process. It was about the process. It was about the process, people. This wilderness. This is for this message. It's for the people who feel frustrated because they're not there yet. I'm speaking to the people who are having internal wrestles because there's this anxiety of trying to get there, wherever your there is. <sighs> At any time, when God has destiny over your life, the enemy brings counterfeits. There will always be an Ishmael before there's an Isaac. There will always be a temptation to settle for less rather than wait for the best. But I'm here to tell you to hold off. Help is on the way. I need for you all to see again that Jesus and Satan agree that Jesus was Lord and that he did reign and would reign and had angels and had power. And as I share with you that the fight was over the process, there is absolutely no debate about Jesus' promise. The debate, however, was over the process. It was not, are you going to get it? But it was more so, how are you going to get it? What will you get? What would you do to get what you want? Who will you knock off? Who will you run over? Who will you kill? Who will you destroy to get what you want? That tells us who you are. That really tells you who you are. What will you get? What will you get? It tells a lot. And God says, I want to start you out in the wilderness so that we can prove and understand who you are. And after you suffered a while, I can trust you. I can't trust you until you suffered a while. I can't trust you until I see the discipline inside of you while you're hungry. So now that's the wilderness. Now we're transitioning into this text, the garden. The garden is the place where you have passed temptations. You've passed the temptations from the enemy. But now... You're in your own way. No demons, no witches, no hex, no satanic attacks. It is in the garden when you fight you. It is in the garden where Jesus comes to fight himself. I never seen this text in the way that I've seen it now. In all my trainings, Father, if your will, if it be your will, pass this bitter cup from me. 
This is the place for all the people who would not listen to the people who gave you godly instructions on what not to do, and you still did it anyway. This place, you rejected all systems. You rejected the structures and the policies and the procedures. And you're just going to just get it some old way because you have a special pass. That means that you can get whatever you want from God some other way without going through the real cost. That you will have, that you will have it at your convenience. You don't have to go through anything. I want the call, but I don't want the cup. I want it, but I don't want to go through anything. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to endure. I want to endure it, but I want it on my terms. And God is saying today that this ain't Burger King because you can't have my promises your way. You can't. I don't think it takes all of that. I ain't going to put too much in all of that. It's too much time and effort. I don't want to be bothered with. I don't need to do all of that. I'm going to get discovered. All I got to do is put some YouTube stuff on with my face on it, talking. I'm going to be discovered and all that. You have to work. Dear hearts, you have to work. You have spent years in Gethsemane fighting yourself. Gethsemane is the place you go because you insist on having it your way. It's just me. I am who I am. It's just the way I talk. It's just the way I am. No desire to sacrifice. None. No, no desire to sacrifice to get out of Gethsemane. I want the end result, but I don't want to go through the process. I want to get there, but I don't want to deal with the process. Gethsemane is the place where you're trying to make a deal with God. In Gethsemane, you're saying, God, I want the blessing, but I do not want what it takes to get the blessing. I don't want to go through it, God. And if I go through it, I want to go through it my way. And instead, you're so much happier and feel like it's so much easier to be depressed than to come to some changes in your life. You'd rather be happy in your depression rather than challenge your ideas about the process that brings about change. Gethsemane, Father, is there another way that I can get what you promised me without going through what you're showing me? Mm. Yes, I'm preaching this to me. Yes, I am. In these texts, in this particular text, we see Three different types of supporters. And I'm just about done. The scripture says that Jesus left the crowd and brought with him Peter, James, and John. And let me lift these three types of supporters. You have the distant supporters. And let me tell you something about the distant supporters. They're the ones who are with you, but they're not with you. They're distant supporters. And in order to be successful, you 
definitely need Disney supporters. It doesn't mean that they're bad or they're evil or anything. It just meant that they're not meant to go to places that you're going. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. They do not go all the way into the apex of your destiny. They do not epitomize what is going to take place in your life. They do not validate who you are by their presence, but they are in the shadows cheering and rooting you on. People who help me, they're people who helped me but didn't go to PT. There are people who are praying over me, but they were not in the same room as I was. Distant supporters are important, and if you're going to be a great man or woman of God, please be sure to maintain your distant supporters. Please understand that you cannot be petty enough to think that if I was not up close, that I am not there. I'm a distant supporter. You must have them, not stay with them. You must understand that they that they, they that they do have, they do that that do they do not have what it takes to go with you all the way, and you certainly can't stay with them. Hmm. You have to be able to love them at a distance, because if you stay with them, it will abort your destiny. And if you stay with them, you will make the mistake. You will make the mistake like Adam did to Eve. When Eve ate and partook of the forbidden fruit, Adam should have said goodbye. Adios. Atutala. But he rather, but he did the opposite. He stayed in dysfunctional. He stayed with the dysfunctional. You will be surprised what people will do for company. You will be surprised because I'm lonely what you're willing to do to just have company. Distant supporters are people that you had to leave to go a little further. It means that I'm moving into another dimension and I cannot stay here in Gethsemane. And then we have the designated supporters. <laughs> They're handpicked. Designated supporters are a little closer than distant supporters. They get to see more up close and in person what other people don't see. Huh. They get to know more than what other people knew. They don't wander in the circle. They're called to the circle. And I just want to stay say this. Stop letting people slip into your inner circles. Stop letting people slip into your inner circles. In order to get close up, you have to be designated. You have to be called from God to step in my sphere. You have to be called. You have to be called. God has to orchestrate that. You just can't walk to see in and think that you're just going to get in. No, no, no. You have to be called to step into my sphere. You have to be called. People have to be called to step in your sphere. I'm going to let y'all meditate on that. Anytime you got distant people in designated places, you're going to have chaos because even though they're there for you, they're not meant to be there with you. You got to move from distant to designated 
Don't bring your fans close. Don't bring your fans close. The designated supporters say that you have a unique role in my destiny. That's what it means to be designated. That means that you have a designated, you have a unique purpose in my life. You have access to the proximity that the distant supporters don't. You're, de you're designated. You're handpicked. You're called. You have access. This is a privilege. <laughs> Don't mess up your privilege. Don't mess up your privilege because you get to move up a little further. While you're up a little further, prove that you're worthy of being designated by not being distant. When you are designated, you are in the inner circle. People can confide in you. They are the people that you can share your struggles with. They are the people that, that, can be, that you can be more human with. These are the people that you can, you can let them see you sweat. They can see you groan. They can, they can see the contradiction between your divinity and your humanity. They can watch you vacillate back and forth because they're designated. and They don't lose respect for you because of what they saw. That's why you cannot have distant supporters in your circle because they can't handle they can't handle it. They can't handle it. This is what, this is what they're, they're able, when you're designated, you're able to come and say, look, bro, this is what I really need. This is what I'm really going through. This is, this is what I really need prayer for. These are the struggles that I'm really dealing with. These are designated supporters. So the distant, the designated, but then eventually you get to the divine. You get to the divine. And in the divine presence, Jesus finds healing that he couldn't even find even between the distant and the designated supporters. Jesus went into the divine presence of God. And some of us just, I have to say this, as someone who stands up here some Sundays looking out in the audience, it seems to me that sometimes some of you, it's not all of you, but some of you just have difficulties like you, you, you're like you're so uncomfortable getting into the presence of our God. It, it baffles me when I'm up here and I'm rendering, and we're rendering the praises and the glory of people. There's seem to be a lot of discomfort in trying to connect in the presence of God. Isn't it funny that we're comfortable with our sin and uncomfortable without God? Whatever we like to do that's comfortable, we, we, we do it. But when it gets to the presence of God, we, we, it just seems like we don't know how to open up and lift our hands and lift our eyes to the heels for what's come to thy hell. And I know that people have different worship styles and everything, but it's still in the midst of all of that, sometimes it looks like you're uncomfortable being in the presence of God. You see, if Jesus does not get out of Gethsemane, 
he cannot fulfill his destiny. And the problem with many of us is that we have been in the Garden of Gethsemane 5, 10, 15 years. The Garden is the place of pressing, and pressure, and indecisiveness. We have been in a place of fitting to or getting ready to or I'm about to. We need to come out of Gethsemane. Jesus shows us something here. He goes into the presence of his father and then he goes back to the designated. And he goes from the divine to the designated saying, won't you watch with me for an hour in prayer? And he goes back to the divine and he prays again and comes back. And the same exact thing continues to happen. And he continues to go back and forth and back and forth, trying to solve, trying to solve this internal conflict within his head and in his spirit. And finally, he gets lost in the divine. He just gets lost in the divine. You know when we are lost in the divine because. When we're lost in the divine, we lose sight about our personal opinions. We know that we are lost in the presence because we don't care about who's around. You know that you're lost in the presence of his glory to the point where you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. When you get in the glory, when you get in that kind of glory, when you get in that type of glory, when you get in that kind of glory, you can look at your designated folk and say, Sleep on. Sleep on. I really don't need you as much. I don't really need you the way I thought I needed you. Rest. Rest. You can rest. Because I'm in his glory. I don't have to get mad because you're not there to help me get a prayer through because I'm caught in the divine. I'm caught in the glory. I'm caught. I'm caught in his glory. I'm in his presence. I thought I really, really needed you. And I thank you for being called to my life. But you know what? I'm at peace now. I don't need you as much. Because I have his glory. Because I have his glory. And many of us today are stuck in this place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane really means a place of pressing. It's a place of, of where the olive goes in one way but comes out another way. The crushing and the pressing process of the olive yields olive oil. Oil is heat. Oil is energy. Oil is fruit. Oil is fuel. Some of you are just afraid to be mashed on. 
afraid. I want your promises, God. Can't deal with the process. Yeah, I want to be that big something, something, but not willing to go through the process. Oil. God wants oil. He wants oil. And he doesn't want you to linger in Gethsemane anymore. And today, God is calling you out to get out of Gethsemane. To get out of Gethsemane because you've been lingering there so long and you're holding yourself back for walking in the true purposes and destiny that God has for your life. People need to see your destiny, but they can't see it if you're still in Gethsemane. God is calling you to come out. Come out. Come out. Come out of Gethsemane. You've been lingering there so long. Come out. Hey, <laughs> you're looking at a person who just recently got out of Gethsemane. No, for real, for real. You're looking at a person who was in his own way in really stepping into the purposes and the promises that God had for my life. Scared. Fearful. Scared. Fearful. I want, I want to... I want to respect people and I don't got an image to, to uphold. And, you know, I, I have all this stuff that I've worked so hard to get. And I don't quite want to give up that particular facade. And I don't, didn't want to give up that because I was uncertain about the uncertain. I was afraid to step out of the boat to do some water walking. But there comes a point in your life where the boat is just going to come a little bit too crowded and just a little bit too uncomfortable that you just have no other choice but to step out the boat. And that's exactly what happened to me. That is exactly what happened to me? My life has not been the same when I decided to forfeit everything just for his glory. Just for his glory. Just to be in his awesomeness without reservations. Just to be in his presence. I can't wait to be in his presence. It's become such a lifestyle for me now that all I can think about is praying. When's the next prayer meeting going on? I'm finding myself getting up 4 and 3.30 in the morning because I got to get to morning prayer. I got to go. I got to get there. Because I feel you, God, doing something. I feel you scooting me out of Gethsemane to fully walk into the purposes and the destiny that you have called me. And God is doing that for some of you in here. 
And God is just asking you all. God is just asking you to yield. Again, this message is about this is wilderness talk. This ain't Sunday morning talk. Please forgive me for not upholding the decorum of Sunday morning talk. I, I, I apologize. But God needs his people. God needs you. God wants you. 